Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in the first verse. And if you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the scripture. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1 begins with these words, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. So Jesus, we've been studying in Mark chapter 5 about these powerful miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. The woman, 12 years afflicted with this horrible illness, and Jesus healed her. It says in verse 1, he went from that place and came into his own country. We'll talk about that country in a moment. And his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with him? And they were offended at him. Verse 4, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And among his own kin and in his own house. By the way, doesn't that just sound like a southerner talking his own kin? I mean, just think about it. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the miraculous book that it is, divinely inspired, preserved, perfectly preserved for us, that we can know the mind of God, that we can learn about the ways of God, that we can grow in our faith in you, Lord. And we pray that you'd bless today. As we open the scriptures together and study the Bible together, we pray that your word would work in our hearts. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It says in verse 1 that Jesus came into his own country. Just, if he came into his own country, where had he been? Verse 1 also says he went out from thence. Well, he'd been preaching and teaching, as we've been talking about for some weeks now, around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, His base of operation, his home away from home, was Capernaum. We find that from reading the Gospels. But this, it says, he went out from thence and came unto his own country. I want us to look briefly at a map, again, of the area of Israel. And and, uh, I like geography. When I read places in the Bible, about places in the Bible, I like to visualize it in my mind. The days of Jesus, the nation of Israel as we know it, was divided up into three regions. The northern region is Galilee. You'll see that. You'll see there the Sea of Galilee. And the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Capernaum, where Jesus spent so much of his time. 
And then and below that is Samaria. You know, when Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdom, the capital of the northern kingdom, or Israel, was Samaria. You see the city of Samaria there in the region of Samaria. And then the southern part of the kingdom is Judea, Jerusalem being the capital. If you look at Jerusalem, you'll see there uh, to the right of that the little city, a town of the village of Bethany. But you also um, see... Uh, Bethlehem, you see the place of, of Jesus' birth. And then you see that the Sea of Galilee is joined to the Red Sea by the Jordan River. And again, I, I, I want to look at that and think about where Jesus was. He spent his time around the Sea of Galilee, much of his time of the Sea of Galilee. But what we're reading in our text here in chapter 6, it says he went to his own country. And that his own country, we'll see in the scripture, was very clearly Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as you know. Jesus, in order to fulfill Scripture, was born in Bethlehem, but, but Mary and Joseph were, na- were from Nazareth. And Mary and Joseph, when she was with child, went all the way uh, to Bethlehem because of a decree of Caesar Augustus that everyone would be uh, part of the uh, census, be recorded. But then they went back to their home of Nazareth. Nazareth was where he was raised. Nazareth was his own Country. So just kind of picturing there where Jerusalem is, where Nazareth is, where the Sea of Galilee is, Capernaum is. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate that. So Mary and Joseph were, were from Nazareth. Hold your finger here in Mark chapter 6, and I think this is worth looking at. Go to the right a little bit to the Gospel of Luke. And the first part of Luke, Luke chapter 2, we see that uh, after Jesus was born, and after eight days he was taken to the temple in Jerusalem where he was dedicated. But in, in Luke chapter 6, or chapter 2, excuse me, in verse uh, 39, it says this, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, notice the language, to their own city, Nazareth. You know, Jesus was called in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth, 21 times. It was the city of his, of his upbringing. He lived there until he was 30 years old. Turn a little bit to the right a little bit, if you would, in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, this is after the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus was tempted of the devil. And, and it tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he, um, in verse uh, 16, came to Nazareth. So after he, he was baptized, he went from Nazareth down to the river Jordan where he was baptized. But he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, it says in verse 16. And there in the, this, this very familiar encounter in Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads from Isaiah chapter 60. And uh, interesting the way they responded to him because they, they really kind of took offense at him. And look what it says in Luke uh, three, Luke uh, chapter four, excuse me, in verse twenty-three, and he said unto them, "You will surely say unto me this proverb: Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country." Notice the language again. What is the, his country? It's the country of Nazareth. Verse twenty-four, and he said, "Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country." And if you read down a few more verses, look what it says in verse 28. All they in the synagogue where they 
when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him into the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. So I take the time to mention this, number one, to firmly establish that the city that Jesus is visiting in Mark chapter 6 is the city of Nazareth. But also he had been to Nazareth once before. And that's the time we read about in Luke chapter 4. And that first visit to, to the synagogue in Nazareth, he read to them, they took offense at him, they, they threatened to kill him. They tried to destroy the Son of God. That's how he was received in, in Nazareth, his hometown. Imagine that. That's, how, that's the kind of welcome that he had. But in Mark chapter 6, if you go back there, now he's going back to Nazareth. He's going back to his own city. It's been at least a year since he left Nazareth. Now you might think, if you look at that map, Nazareth is so close to the Sea of Galilee. He spent all his time around the Sea of Galilee, most of his time I should say. It's relatively close to to Capernaum, why didn't he go back to Nazareth? We don't know the answer to that. But in Mark chapter 6, we have what it was like when he revisited this place. A lot has happened in the last year or so of Jesus' ministry. His popularity has exploded. He's so famous. He's a celebrity. And people are being healed and people are being helped. And he's teaching people. And crowds are following him. And now he comes back, if you look in Mark 6, 1, back into his own country and his disciples follow him. Worth mentioning, because the Bible mentions that often Jesus' disciples wanted to be where Jesus was. By the way, disciples are followers of Jesus. So what kind of reception did Jesus get? It says in verse 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. That was his routine. But that tells us he didn't just show up in Nazareth on the Sabbath day. He went to Nazareth. That's where his family was. His mother, of course, was there. We can be fairly certain that Joseph had died by this time. So he goes to visit his mother and he visits his, his family, his half-brothers, half-sisters that he talks about here in a moment. And he goes to the synagogue and apparently they ask him to teach in the synagogue. And it says in verse 2, many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things? Where did this man get this stuff? His teaching, His words, His miracles. Keep in mind that Jesus lived in Nazareth until He was baptized by, by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. That was about the time, according to the Scripture, that He was 30 years old. He had lived in Nazareth His entire life up until 30 years old. And they knew Him as the son of Joseph, a carpenter, they knew him, I'm sure, as, a, as an outstanding citizen, a young man, a, a godly person, a person who feared the Lord. But they did not know him as a miracle worker. They certainly didn't know him as the Messiah. They did not know him as a celebrity. They just knew him as what they supposed to be, the son of Joseph and Mary. And they're just flabbergasted by what he's saying and by what he's been doing. Why? Because they knew so much about him as a part of their community, as a part of their family. And they knew him. They knew his family. These people, a lot of these people probably played 
with Jesus when he was a boy. They would hang out together. These were people who knew him. They were very familiar with him. And they say in verse 3 there, Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah. Other children had been born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus was miraculously born of the Virgin Mary. And they have a family, a growing family. Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended. They, they, the, the word offend means to stumble. They, they, they tripped up over this thing and what they were seeing. They couldn't reconcile the two things. One is a man who performs miracles, who raises people from the dead, who heals blinded eyes. The other is the son of Mary and Joseph that we knew as a part of our community that we grew up with. We were around him. Those two things did not seem to mesh together. And with all that said, Jesus, rather than ignoring their conflict, he addressed it. And like Jesus would often do, Jesus took a situation and made a teaching moment out of it. We see that so often in the Gospels. And so Jesus, it says in verse 4, Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. A prophet is not without honor. So Jesus, this was like a proverb, but Jesus used it to teach them something. And he ref, he's more or less referring to himself as a prophet. Other people called him a prophet. And so what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks forth the word of God. That's, that's what a prophet is. Prophets were often and regularly respected and honored by God's people, especially in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, I was just... Uh, refreshing my memory about some of this uh, recently, and that is they often call the prophet the man of God. That, was, that in itself was a, was a sign of respect. They called him the man of God. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, you remember before Saul became king, he was the first king of Israel. Before he became king, he was the son of Kish, and his father had lost some livestock, a couple of donkeys, and, and his father sent him out to look for it and for them, and uh, Saul took with him a servant, one of the servants of the family, and they went looking for them, and they couldn't find him. And finally the servant says, you know, there's a man of God that lives nearby, and uh, his name was Samuel. And he called him the prophet, but he also called him the man of God. Those two terms were often used interchangeably. Uh, I listened to the message Brother Jason Hawkins preached last Sunday evening on Jeroboam, tremendous message. And, and once then in the life of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, of course, was a king that introduced idolatry to Israel. And God sent a, a prophet. It was a young prophet. It was called the young man of God or the young prophet. But again, he came to visit Jeroboam. Uh, I'll give you another example. The, the woman at Shunem uh, once said to her husband, when Elijah would pass by her house, the prophet, on his way about his work as the servant of God, this woman at Shunem said, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. What I'm saying is prophets were often honored, but they're not always honored. As Jesus said in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. 
Now, I can't, I don't begin to uh, pretend that I understand the impact of what Jesus was saying to his people, but he's saying this to his family. He's saying this to his kinfolks. He's saying this to his hometown. And basically, he, everywhere he went, he was recognized, appreciated, crowds would follow him, but he comes to his own hometown, and they do not receive him or his message. This is where Jesus was in Nazareth. He was in his own country. He was among his own kin. He was with his own house. Now again, why would these people be this way? For one thing, they had known Jesus, as I said earlier, for 30 years. They knew him better than anybody. They had spent 30 years with him. Many of these other people following him had only been with him for a matter of days or weeks or maybe even months. They knew him better than anyone. And yet they did not really believe in him. Matter of fact, from what we understand from the scriptures, these relatives, these half-brothers and sisters, didn't even get saved until after Jesus was raised from the dead. They just did not believe. They could not bring themselves to believe. They couldn't look past, and now I'm getting to the thought that I really want to press home today. They couldn't get past their familiarity with Jesus as being one of them to see that his words were not from him. His words were from God. And his works were not his deeds. They were from God. And so, two questions that come to my mind. Number one, what would cause this? What would cause them to be uh, so ignorant, really, about the opportunity before them? And the second question is this. Does that have any relevance in our life? Could the same thing be true of us? And I used a word a moment ago that I think describes part of their problem, and it's the word familiarity. They were so familiar with him. I mean, his dad was a carpenter. Maybe Jesus had helped work around their house, building fences or helping on the house. They were very familiar with Jesus. You know, the closer you are to someone, the more familiar you are with someone, the greater the opportunity for you to take that person for granted. And it's not just about preachers, it could be about anything. I was uh, in, my wife and I were in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the pastor there uh, in the conference where we were, he didn't preach, but he was up talking one time, and I can't even remember now what he was talking about. But he happens to be a pastor whose uh, children, some of his, uh, he's, he's got in-laws, he's got sisters-in-laws in the church, and their husbands, and he has grandchildren in the church. And his own children are in the church. And so it's a, it's a family situation there in the church. A lot of people are there. And so he was telling this story. He said, not too long ago, all our family was together and we were at the house and we were having a good time. And, and uh, he said, um, the pastor's wife, that we know very well, the pastor's wife said something to the pastor. And the, and the pastor's wife's sister, who's a member of the church, says, you shouldn't say that to the pastor. <laughs> you shouldn't. And the wife said, in this house, he's not the pastor, he's my husband. <laughs> and she didn't do it in a negative way. She was just talking about the fact that, that we get so familiar with people sometimes. 
And, th- and, and this is not really at all about what the message is about. But I know I've found this to be true in my own life. Sometimes the people that we love the most, we take more liberties with. You know? And that's true in a marriage. It's true with our own children. It can be true with our friends. Because we're so familiar with them. It was hard for those in Jesus' hometown to get past the fact that he was their kin. He was a carpenter in his youth. They knew his brothers and sisters. I'm sure you've know this from this phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. The more we're familiar with something, the more we tend to take it for granted. The less we might appreciate it. As I said earlier, it can happen in marriages. It can happen in friendships. It can happen with your job. It can be true about spiritual truths and doctrine. The more we have the Bible, the more we read the Bible, the more we're familiar with the songs, the less they mean to us. The more familiar we are with the thing, the less we might appreciate it. Jesus said this. And he wasn't... By the way, Jesus never looked for the honor of men. I was just reading this morning in another place in the Bible where Jesus said, I seek not mine own honor, but the honor that comes from God, my Father. That's where the important honor comes from. It comes from the Lord. But it it wasn't because Jesus had done anything wrong that they didn't honor Him. It wasn't because that He was expecting too much of them. It was due to their familiarity. There can be a real danger in that. Sometimes even in our church, you know, people, people sometimes visit our church and, and they, they're just blessed by the atmosphere, by the music, by the ministry in general. And, and if you've been around here any length of time, you know this, and I just say it to illustrate this point. Sometimes people that aren't members of our church and traveling across the country plan their visit so they can be in our church and spend some time in our church. And yet people who regularly attend the church often may not even see it the way they see it. You know what I'm saying? Because familiarity breeds contempt. The more we're familiar with something, and I don't think it has to be that way, but I think often it is that way. When we need to work, that it doesn't become that way. I was thinking about the choir singing this morning. I love to hear the choir sing. And I love them as much now hearing their music as I ever have. And I've heard them sing almost two times a week 52 weeks a year for decades. And when I hear them today, it's just as fresh and enjoyable to me as any time I've ever heard them in my life. You know, it doesn't, because you're familiar with something, it doesn't have to be unappreciated. It's not a sign of maturity. It's not a sign of spirituality. That things that once you enjoyed, you know, they no longer move you. You're not as, you're not as thrilled by it. That's not a good thing. It may be, that something has changed. I'm, you know, the cross that we sang today, the old rugged cross, I love that song. I've been singing it now for over 40 years. And I love it as much today as I've ever loved it in my life. I don't have to look at the words. I don't have to open the hymn book. I know it. But I'm telling you, I appreciate it. We, I'm just saying we need to learn that from, just be, don't let yourself become so familiar with things or people are places that they lose their meaning. That's where Jesus... They were so familiar with Him, they couldn't see how wonderful He was. God has not changed. 
The cross hasn't changed. The grace of God hasn't changed. The love of God hasn't changed. The truth of God has not changed. Maybe you've changed, but not for the better. If you think in your mind because you know something well that you ought to just take it for granted, I'm, I want to say this in love, you're wrong, you're mistaken. We ought, to, we ought to continue to love the things. I, don't get tired of singing the old rugged cross. Don't get tired of singing how great thou art. Don't get tired of singing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You know, we have to be careful about that. I was thinking as I was preparing this message about listening to people in our church when they preach. Um, we have a number, of, a number of capable preachers in our church. And some of them have been here longer than others. But several of them have been here almost from birth or near the time they were born. I mean, we know them well. Last, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before that. Uh, I called Justin about 6.30 in the morning. And I said, Justin, I don't want to give you a lot of details, but I've been throwing up all night. <laughs> and uh, I said, you think you could be ready to preach? And I listened to his sermon. He preached from the same text I'm using today and did a great job. And I listened to the message coming home, yes, uh, Friday, as we're driving home, of the message that Jedediah preached and Jason Hawkins preached last Sunday. And I was genuinely blessed. I sat in Sunday school today, and, I'm just, and I just am thoroughly blessed by the Word of God, by God's Word. Now I'm saying this. I don't listen to them as, you know, young boys that I grew up knowing, and we, you know, they were just kids, or just kids. No, I, I don't listen to them like that. I listen to them as, as men, and same with anybody who's in our church, men who love the Lord, men who love the Bible, men who are effective in proclaiming God's truth. Don't let your familiarity keep you from being blessed. I look around this room and I see people, I just think, let's saw Ross and think about Ross and how much he's a blessing to us and how he spent so much time at our house growing up. And I was, one of the reasons we were glad Jed and I moved out was because Ross wouldn't be around all the time. No. <laughs> Not true. But you know what? I think people, I think this is a common problem. Familiarity. Where you just know things. It can happen reading the Bible. And you're reading over a passage and you've read it over and over and over again. But I want to tell you today, John 3.16 doesn't have to lose its power in your life. No matter how many times you've quoted it and how many times you've read it, and I think this is something we need to look squarely in the face and say, God, don't let this happen. And that Jesus Himself could come to the synagogue and read the Word of God, and those people could not get past how familiar they were as the, with Him as the boy that lived down the street, that they couldn't respect the fact that God is using Him and could use Him to bless. What were the consequences? Of this lack of respect. Look in verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk. And healed them. God's work was hindered. God's. Now did I read anything into that? Or is that just what the Bible says? 
He could there no mighty work. And it wasn't that he was powerless to do it. It's that they didn't have faith in him. They didn't believe he could do it. Their familiarity had robbed them of some opportunity for blessing. Now, he did some things. He laid his hands, the Bible says, on a few sick folk, and they were healed. There were some people who brought their sick, ailing people to him. There were some people who brought their disease to him. And thank God for what he did. But here's the bottom line. He did not do what he could have done and would have done had they believed in him. Why didn't he do more? It was because of them. Was it because his power was diminishing? It wasn't because his message was less impactful. It was because the way they viewed him. It was because of the way they perceived him. Verse 6 says, it was because of their unbelief. And it says in verse 6, he marveled. He marveled. You know what hinders omnipotence? Omnipotence is a fancy word for all power. God is omnipotent. God has all power. Do you realize that if God could just say the word and create light and create planets and create animals, if God could just say the word, don't you think God could do about anything? Is there anything that would hinder God? Is there anything that would hinder God from working? Yes. It's unbelief. He did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. God wants to work. God wants to work in our lives. God wants to work in our church. God wants to work in your family. I mean, God wants to work. God hasn't changed. But what is it that, what is our role? I can't change people. I can't change my own heart. But I know who can. But you know what affects the way God works in your life? It's your faith. It's trusting God. Believing God. By the way, as far as we know from the Gospels, I already read to you in John chapter 4, Jesus visited his hometown Nazareth the first time they tried to kill him. Mark chapter 6, Jesus visits his hometown a second time. And they virtually mocked at him and didn't accept him. As far as we know from the Gospels, Jesus never went to Nazareth again. His hometown, where his mama lived. Where his half-brothers and sisters lived. He never went back there. You know, I wonder this morning, if there are not times when we come to church and things are so familiar to us, The place is so familiar. For many of us, the place we sit is so familiar. We can't even listen if we're not in the right place. But I wonder this seriously. If there aren't times when Jesus marvels at our unbelief. I mean, do an honest evaluation quickly this morning, right where you sit. What have you been trusting God for this morning? You ever come to church just asking God and begging God and requesting that God would work in the church and move in your heart and move in the life of your spouse or your children in your own heart? 
You say, well, preacher, I, I just expect you to, I just expect you or whoever's preaching just to blow us over with truth so we just can't even, no, you ought to come expecting something. He marveled at their unbelief. How can we prevent this familiarity from happening? I think we have to discipline ourselves to show honor to places and things where honor is due. You know, I could make a long list of places that we have had the privilege of visiting here in this country and around the world. Places like the Colosseum in Rome or the catacombs where Christians would hide out or places like the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, or places in this country like, like the Twin Towers where they went down, or Ellis Island. I love to visit Ellis Island, the museum that records the people who migrated this country and why they come and how they come. I think we ought to honor the flag. I have no respect for people who live in this country but will not honor the flag. We're commanded to honor our father and mother. It's not an option. We're commanded to do it. We honor the Word of God. There's nothing the Bible says you have to stand for the reading of the Scripture before you preach. We've done it for years. We do it as a sense of honoring the Word of God. I think we ought to honor the Word of God. We ought to honor the worship of God. My wife and I, one of the things we get to do when we're away sometimes is sit together in church. We don't get to do that here much. This is true of her and it's true of me. We, don't, we never, when we're in church, goof around and cut up and laugh and joke when the singing's going on. We're not here for that. We can do that before we get here. We can do that after we leave. When we're here, we're here to worship God. We become so familiar with stuff. Yeah, we're singing about the old rugged cross, but we're just going to laugh and snicker and cut up. I think, I think we can do better than that. I want to see God work. This ought to be a warning to all of us. He marveled at their unbelief. He was less respected in his hometown than any other place he ever went. The same can happen to us. I'll tell you, I, I, when I read this, and this is my heart today, I just want to challenge us all. Let's don't become so familiar with stuff, with the Bible, with songs, with one another, with our loved ones. Let's not become so familiar that we lose our faith. We ought to stand in awe of Him. We ought to stand in awe of His Word. I don't care how many times you've read it or how many verses you have memorized. This is the very Word of God. We ought to stand in awe of His Word. We ought to stand in awe of the worship of God as we sing about His grace and His love and His forgiveness and His mercy and His long-suffering. We, we ought to just stand in awe of God and how He is. Let's be reminded that Jesus Himself was unwelcomed and unappreciated in His own hometown because they were so familiar with Him and the last verse that we read says, he left there and went out into other villages to teach the Word of God. Let it be a reminder to us today. I, I, I love seeing young people who've grown up in this church. But one of my concerns is they get so familiar with stuff, it loses its meaning. Just another sermon, just another song. 
It's not just another sermon. It's the Word of God. It's not just another song. It's the worship of God. And we ought to treat it as such. Amen?